listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since Welcome to the GGTMC. Yeah, we are back on the air. We are live. We are tired. <laughs> we order pizza. So, <laughs> anyway, little in joke there. Um, yeah. So we are back, and uh, this is our uh, special BoulevardMovies.com sponsored episode. Uh, this week, uh, Large William had the uh, pleasure of programming the Boulevard Movie Show. And uh, he picked. I'll go ahead and let you say what you picked. Sure. Uh, I picked uh, Denis Villeneuve's Incendie from. Well, I consider it a 2011 film. It was in the film festival circuit for 2010. It's a Canadian film um, that I heard some good things about, and I caught um, before like, just cramming last year before we did our top ten, and. Um, I was pretty astounded by how, how great it was at the time. And uh, I wanted to own the blue and I wanted to talk about it with you. So I figured I could kill two birds with one stone by picking it for the show. Yeah, there we go. Well, every now and then we, we cover new shows, our new new shows, <laughs> new films. So, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, that we've always left ourselves open to do anything on the show. So it works out good. Yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, I, I, you know, after you had said that and everything else, I'd heard about it obviously over the last, mm-hmm. uh, well, almost couple of years. Mm-hmm. But you know, never got around to seeing it or anything else. wasn't really readily available, if you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I never got around to seeing it really. So this gave me a reason to actually check it out. And of course, I really wanted to check it out after you had it on your uh, top ten. So there we go. So that's what we'll be covering film was, and we'll just call him uh, Dennis Villanova. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or Charlie Villanueva. <laughs> Villanueva. Because I'm not even going to attempt to go do French this morning. We'll do Dennis Villanova's Incendies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I do want to say, because I, I thought about this when I was driving of all times, I guess because, you know, being a cinephile, we tend to take a film, about film while we're taking a shit or we're driving or we're talking to our wife and they ask us to repeat what they've said and we don't remember. Um, Incendie is spelled I N C E N D I E S. Yes. So just I, I thought about that when I was like, maybe people want to, you know, kind of check it out before we do the the, the show. Uh, it would be one that if you didn't know how it was spelled, but you'd kind of be a bit baffled by. So. Yep. So yeah, I mean, yeah, because when you first said it, I was like, uh, how do you say that? But you know, <laughs> French is French is a special language. Sometimes it leaves not me. It lives a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure French, the French language and the French culture thinks our language is pretty special too. So, (laughs) all right. So, yeah, that's what we're covering. Uh, Let's get into what we've been watching. Okay, it was a short week for me. Um, I only got four things, and just you know, summer. We're in the really in the thick of summer. I mean, you guys had the fourth. Uh, We had Canada Day. 
it just so much going on that I just haven't really been watching a whole lot. But I did squeeze four things in. Um, I decided to rewatch uh, a couple Almodovar films because I had that box set. Again, Amazon.co.uk had it on very, very cheap. Um, so I revisited, I think, the two first, the first two films of his I'd seen. I talked to her, which I'll talk about, firstly. Um, I watched this... I wanted to watch it with my wife because she's seen a lot of his newer stuff uh, and liked it. Um, and I figured this would appeal to her. So talk to her. It held up very well. Um, it's funny in revisiting that. I'm. I really feel like the one I watched from a few weeks ago, Sleep Tight, the other Spanish thriller. No. Yeah. I feel like it is definitely a very a very dark, more linear uh, variation on Talk to Her. Okay. It's more genre-based than it is kind of character-based and dramatic-based. So Talk to Her is a really good film. It's very unconventional. It, it it's, um, doesn't give you any, uh, any easy answers um, in terms of how you should feel about some, some certain things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's great. I mean, it's his usual stuff. He combines uh, you know, dramatic uh, moments with comedy, with uh, you know, sort of poignant stuff. So, And it's I think it was his, one of his first films that focused on the male leads, um, and it really shone a positive light on them uh, and had made them look as complex character-wise as his women had been for so long. So, good stuff. Um, then I rewatched All About My Mother and um, it's, again, fantastic. Um, I, it's funny, in vi- revisiting both of these, I think this is probably when a lot of people came on board with him as far as film critics because a lot of his stuff was willfully kind of transgressive and and just kind of uh, had a bit of a punk rock mentality, right. um, you know, and covered some stuff that, you know, it's just kind of in John Waters' realm, essentially, mm-hmm. you know, dildos and drug addicts and golden showers and stuff. And it was a little bit toned down with these films. Yep. You know, you still get trannies and, and so forth and drug abuse and stuff. Um, yeah, just a regular day at the office. Yes, precisely. <laughs> precisely. So, uh, although my mother held up quite well, um, Again, it's just it's, you know, it certainly showed a maturation from him, uh, I guess, in some people's eyes. I'm thinking now that I'm having a chance to look at stuff I'd already seen and stuff I've never seen. I kind of like his, I like his darker stuff. I mean, I tend to lean towards dark stuff anyway. So yeah, um, but those are still great. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I've really been getting into the Louis Thoreau stuff lately. Uh, a lot of them are on YouTube. So another, uh, as we always say, it's there's two seasons in Canada. There's construction in winter, so <laughs> yeah. uh, having to take the mo- the major highway of Canada uh, home and to work every day. There's t- construction, and I was sitting in traffic at midnight on a Thursday, and decided to watch uh, a place for pedophiles and enrage myself a little bit. So, yeah. Uh, Louis goes to um, a prison. Well, it's not even a prison. It's it's more of a. Essentially, it's, it's a dressed up prison right. uh, for people for pedophiles that are sex offenders, I should say, mm-hmm. that are deemed um, unfit to be released into the general community after they've already served their sentences. And uh, it, as always, it's quite good. Um, it asks some some interesting questions uh, about a myriad of things around that topic. So, you know, uh, it is you know to me the the most reprehensible thing one can do. Um, but you know, it's interesting that Louis looked at that and 
recognized as a parent that he was looking at that and tried to be as objective as he could. Uh, and then I watched Phase 4, which uh, our boy Dave Malcolmore was repping for on the boards the past few days. Um, and I don't want him to apologize for that because he was like, sorry guys, I know I've been talking about this film a lot. We all do it. And this film we're covering today is a prime example of that. If you really love a film and you want to push it in the community, that's what you do and do it, right? Because yes, if you right. get a few people onto it, then great. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good film. I don't know if I was in the mood to watch it. It's For those who don't know, it's a science fiction film about... Um, uh, ants essentially gaining higher power uh, from a, a mental standpoint and uh, mid 70s I think early 70s it's quite good though it's it's really well edited and the sound, the score for the film is fantastic it's very straight faced it's not like sort of uh, radioactive age movie monsters it's, it's a lot more grim and straight faced very good and I would want to watch it when I was in the mood to, to rewatch it but you know, just one of those things. Yeah. That's it. No, it's a short week. Yeah, I'm on. Yeah, that's the way it goes sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, we only had one, the weeks we have to watch one film, I'm always like, yeah, squeezing like three or four more, five or more, six more of something else. And then I always okay. end, I still end up watching four films. <laughs> yeah, that's it, man. Especially this time of year, right? We're not in our houses with, with snow or Kentucky rain or, or Kentucky heat. <laughs> as, yeah, we forgot to say that uh, as part of the Go Your Podcasting Nude today. Yes, yes. Nude with ice cubes. <laughs> Rosie Perez. Yeah, doing the Rosie Perez from Do the Right Thing. <laughs> <laughs> I got to Photoshop that. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> nice. What was, what was this? Mookie? Yeah. Oh, Mookie. Oh, yeah, Mookie. That's right, man. <laughs> Delivering pizzas. Yeah. Was he, he was a yeah, he was a pizza delivery guy. Yeah, yeah, for Sal. <laughs> That's right, man. That's right. And uh yeah, you uh, you could wear a pair of jorts, uh Daisy Dukes and that boy. <laughs> Woo <laughs> Oh fair for those of you who don't know, it's 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 been incredible. I told Will yesterday that uh yesterday was the second highest recorded temperature in the history of Kentucky as a state in the Union. So they've been keeping track. So it was it was it was scorching yesterday. It was ridiculous. Uh, but of course, you know, my son is <laughs> he is uh, immune to heat <laughs> because he's young and full of energy. So he just thinks it's another day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you know that's the way it goes. So I had sweat a little bit yesterday. Let's put it that way. All right. Uh, I watched a few films. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, First one I watched this past week was a film called Billionaire. It's also known as Shadow Billionaire. Uh, this is on Hulu Plus. Um, they they sometimes pick a documentary of the month or something like that. Anyway, I just kind of came across it. This is the story of uh, Larry Hogum or Ho Hogum or something like that. I can't remember his name, but he was one of the founders of DHL, the uh, international shipping company. Oh, yes. Okay. And he was a billionaire and stuff, and he eventually... Uh, not a spoiler because it's news, but he, he was in a plane that went down and his body was never recovered. So there's a lot of mystery around it. The bodies of the others were recovered, but Larry's wasn't. So there's a lot of mystery around it and stuff. And uh, I'm not going to say give away a whole lot. But I advise people to watch it. It's good. Uh, it's a good film. Uh, he had a lot of demons. So, and a lot of things came to light once Larry died, quote unquote. And uh, I mean, that's not a spoiler as far as. Legally, he's still dead. Nobody's ever heard from him or seen him. So, 
uh, but a lot of things came to light like they tend to do <laughs> when you try to you know do things like that so interesting interesting guy interesting story uh strange uh sounds like it would be very fascinating yeah yeah obviously the dude had some uh, personal <laughs> once you get into it though you realize this guy had some serious problems <laughs> wow. so but you know money problems anyway more money more problems yeah get more money more problems that's right i'd like more money to see if <laughs> <laughs> to test that theory out. To test out the more problems. Mm. More money, more problems, more food. Yes. Uh, uh, more vacation. Sounds like I'm speaking is- Islamic or something. More food. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, next film I watched went back to my Nicolas Cage ever ending film festival. <laughs> <laughs> the film festival of the heart. Yeah. <laughs> the film festival of tax evaders. Um, <laughs> Actually, no, that's not, my bad. That's a that's a bad thing to say because actually, Nicholas Cage is not a tax evader. He's just uh, bankrupt. <laughs> <laughs> he pays his taxes. I think he just doesn't have the money to you know, pay his mortgages. He has to sell those seven hundred year old human skulls now. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, anyway, I watched this film with a uh, guy Pierce called Seeking Justice. Oh, uh, this is kind of like a vigilante type thing. Um, set in New Orleans. This must have been what he was shooting when he got in trouble uh, for quote unquote, uh, I don't know, hostile behavior, beating his white girlfriend. I don't know what he was doing down there. Uh, I think I think this is also when the person was in his house naked eating ice cream. Oh yes. <laughs> but uh, I was thinking about that the whole time I was watching. But uh, this is a this is pretty good. This it's, it's not bad. It's 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 pretty standard Hollywood thriller type fare. It's directed by Roger Donaldson, who did uh, the Bank Job and a couple other things. The newer version of the bank shop, yeah, 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 which is quite good. Yeah, so it's it's a very competently made film. Guy Pierce is very good. Nicholas Cage is very un Nicholas Cage. You think he's going to be very Nick Cage because in the first five minutes he's acting like Nick Cage because he's partying, but he's in a good mood and he's acting like Nick Cage. You know, he's saying who dat and all that kind of stuff and acting goofy. So you think okay, it's going to be that kind of Nick Cage film, but then uh, things change and it's it's definitely not that kind of Nick Cage film. There's actually some pretty I have to say some pretty solid acting from Nick here. As we know, you know, he can't act, but he chooses to do the things he does. So, uh, there's some good stuff here. Some good good acting and stuff. And the film's not bad. It kind of falls apart in the end. I, I put on uh, Miso, I think on Miso or somewhere that, or maybe it was Twitter, that out of all the action stars, I, I put this out and then afterwards had to re, kind of retract it a little bit. But out of all the action stars out there, Nick Cage has one of the worst runs ever. I mean, his running is terrible. Him and Seagal. Yeah, and then, of course, everybody hit me back up with Seagal and the flappy arms. (laughs) T-Rex. Of course, Seagal doesn't even run anymore, so. No, he clearly doesn't run. But Nick's still doing it, and uh, he looks rough when he runs. It looks like he's got bad knees or legs or it's like he never ran in his life, so. Uh, So it was pretty bad, but. But no, the film itself is good. It's a competent film. I'd probably scored somewhere in the six point five to seven category. It's pretty good stuff. And I had a good time with it. And it, it asked it asked some, you know, those tough vigilante questions. Would you, you know, would you, would you wouldn't, you know, that kind of stuff. So do you answer the question in rage in the heat of the moment, or do you you know, do you think about it? So there's some good stuff in there. It does get a little standard. I have to say toward the back end, the action set pieces toward the back end, a little, a little too standard for me, so that kind of hurts it a little bit, but it's a good film. Probably stick in the six and a half category now that I say that. Anyway, <laughs> the last film I watched was uh, one that 
you know, I had no ever, I had no interest in ever watching this film. It popped up on Netflix instant here in the states, and uh, yesterday I decided, you know what, I'm just going to check this thing out. If it's shit, I'll turn it off. But you know, my son was napping at the time. I didn't have anything to do. I'm just sitting there in the air conditioning, trying to enjoy it. Trying to enjoy your ice cube. Yes, enjoy my ice cubes. <laughs> Wanted slidden down to the old scrotum, to my <laughs> my Defoe parts. <laughs> Descrotem. Uh, and so I checked out Immortals. Oh, directed nice by Tarsum. I've been circling around this one for quite some time. Well, it's on Netflix Instant if you want to check it out. Good. Um, so, you know, we all kind of know what this film looks like and stuff in the trailers and stuff. So that's why I wasn't too excited to see it, right? Because, you know, I'm kind of not really the biggest fan of these, you know, CGI-made environment-type films. Sometimes they're really good, and I like them. And I'm not against CGI, I should say that. But sometimes I do not like them, and when I do not like them, they bore me tremendously. Um, But this one I liked a lot. This one I really dug. And it's a weird film because Mickey Rourke, <laughs> I don't know what film he's acting in, but it, it both works and it doesn't work. <laughs> And uh, it was quite fun. Uh, I had a lot of fun with it, man. It's a gorgeous film. Tarsum is arguably one of the most visionary directors working. Uh-huh. Um, I'll put Did him you up. ever see The Fall? I never saw The Fall. Oh, but, it's, you would like it. It's, yeah. it's uh, a lot more story-driven mm-hmm. with melds that with his visuals. So. Yeah. This one's very story-driven, too. And uh, he seems to be able to mix his visuals with stories. And uh, even though that's what filmmakers quote-unquote do uh not all of them do it well um i can't think anybody off the top of my head but some filmmakers are better visual visually than they are well dario argento is a good example <laughs> mm-hmm. visually i like him a lot more than i do story was narrative was um but this one uh this one's a really nice mix of um that that visual style i mean right from the get-go you're like holy fuck look at this fucking thing and it's it's a uh, wow you know, it's just, it, it looks amazing. I mean, just some, some of the, his imagination when it comes to shooting things and setting up shots and doing action. Now, the action a little bit, the the Tarsum, you know, Zack Snyder slash slow-mo stuff, stuff. It, some of that's a little tiresome. Don't, don't get me wrong, but it's still. A little bit tiresome. A little bit tiresome, <laughs> yes. <laughs> tarsome Singe. Um, but the film is is really kind of, it's just fun. And, uh, you know, it's a basic story, you know, peasant hero you know gods greek gods you know zeus big helmets with horns big helmets yeah those well you know when i saw that i, I was the same way when i saw that i remember emily saying she says it's got to be good because you know like mickey rourke i think it was emily said you know he had, he's wearing like a rabbit helmet that's, <laughs> and that's what i thought it was too but come to find out if you look at it it's actually like a crab claw <laughs> it's even more bizarre <laughs> Probably mickey's choice yeah it's probably mickey's choice yes There's, who, who has a better helmet loki or mickey in this uh, Oh, Mickey in this. Mickey Mickey's got some outstanding costumes in this. They're 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 both Greek got it and and glam rock. <laughs> they're amazing. I'm not kidding around. That's awesome. They're amazing. Uh Mickey is is having a lot of fun in this film. And you can tell there's a lot of Mickey moments mixed in with uh what's supposed to be, you know, you know, this type of Shakespearean acting. Because uh-huh. he's he seems to be the only American in the film. And uh God, I love him. And he doesn't what the thing he does right, I think, is he doesn't try to do an accent. 
And uh, he doesn't. He he just does Mickey Rourke in this time period. So it's it's pretty it's a, it's a lot of fun. And even though I could see gripes with his performance, like I say, he's it, it's it's both bizarre and at the same time it works completely because you know Mickey Rourke's that good of an actor. You know he's just he he carries it and he does it well. And uh, you know he's still in good shape and he still looks pretty good for a man of his age. And and uh, yeah, he really brings it. And the lead, who's playing Superman in Zack Snyder's next film, oddly enough. Henry... Henry Cavill, Cavill, something like that. Yeah. He's really good, too. He's got a nice uh, charisma to him, so that's good news. Because Superman, I've always thought, you know, that that comic character has to have a lot of charisma. Um, Christopher Reeve had a lot of charisma. I mean, you liked him. He's very much a Boy Scout-type actor, but you liked him because he had a lot of charisma. I thought Brandon Routh was okay, but... He had a look, but it, it, when he talked, it didn't quite work as well as his look worked. So, Cavill, the Cavill or Cavill or whatever you say his name, he, he he's got the charisma. So this would be fun. Stephen Dorff's in this film too. It should be said. Wow, the Dorff back yeah. in the house. The Dorff in the house fighting in battles with a six pack. You know, the Dorff bringing it. Yeah, he's uh, he's a weird actor, man, because he was kind of an it guy for a while, and I even liked the Dorff. I remember him, you know, early on from uh, the Gate. Um, and yeah, he just kind of fell out of favor when the '90s ended. He was kind of like he's kind of like a Christian Slater, like a parallel to Christian yeah, Slater. Very much. He's he's like the '90s version of Slater in a lot of ways. Yeah, and uh, a little, I bit, little bit of the '2000s because he, like you say, he was the it actor for a while, the it bad guy for a little while too. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, which I don't know. He's he's kind of uh, yeah. So it's it's uh, it's interesting. He's good in the film though. He's good. He's good in the movie and uh, Frida, whatever her name is from Slumdog. Yeah. Oh man, I was about to say Frida Kahlo. That would have made for an interesting film. Frida <laughs> Pinto. Pinto. Frida Pinto. Yeah, she's in well. Yeah, and there's a nude scene, and I think it's her, but Ooh. I can't tell. But either way, whoever it is, yowza. I uh, I quite like her. I keep, keep meaning to see that one that she did for Julian Schnabel. Um, gosh, Miral. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I never saw that one. It's it's a good film, man. Check it out if you're in the mood for this type of thing. This kind of big budget special effects. Um, type film. Uh, it's I think it's fun. I think it's a lot of fun, and it looks it looks amazing. It looks amazing. Definitely check it out on a high def TV if you can, and uh, with the lights out and stuff. Pretty fucking. It makes Zach. It makes three hundred, which we we all know narratively is a bit of a poo poo film. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we don't all know that. There's some out there that defend it, and that's fine. They love it. That's great. But the, the, to me, this <laughs> this makes. Uh, 300 look like a really 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 bad film so this is what I think 300 wanted to be so that's good in a in a, in a just world this would get the claim of 300 did I guess yes yes because this is a much better film than 300 in my opinion so alright and that's the only thing I can compare it to because it is very comparable to 300 <laughs> there's a lot of screaming <laughs> nice fight for your children <laughs> fight for your honor Excellent, man. Somebody get me a cheeseburger. I'm starving. Someone get Red Brown. Is it live or is it Memorex? <laughs> there we go. All, right. all right, so uh, <laughs> all right, so that's everything we watched. I'm gonna hit the break button. We're gonna take a short break, and when we come back, we're gonna talk uh, Incendies with Dennis uh, Villanova. Yeah, and, so uh, we're gonna get another ice cube. We get to go. Yeah, that other one melted. So time to get. You better bring the whole tray, bro. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> For these nipples, you bet. <laughs> Got those Rosie Perez nipples. <laughs> oh man! Oh man! 
That would be bizarre looking. Rosie Perez nipples on a dude? Yeah. If your complexion, <laughs> it certainly would. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> it's like I like Rosie Perez. I think she's attractive, I must say. Yeah, I, know, I do too. But uh, sitting there thinking, it's my... but I, do, I don't want her nipples on you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I do want her nipples on me. I just well, don't want, yes. you know, this quite... the. Uh... <laughs> Somebody think I was smuggling pancakes on my chest or something. Oh, yeah, silver dollars. <laughs> what is that? Is, are those peanuts on top of those pancakes? <laughs> All right, uh, we're going to take <laughs> We've devolved quickly. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back right after this. Ahoy, mateys. This is KAB, Antonio Bay. Stevie Wayne here, beaming a signal across the sea. I'll be here playing music all through the witching hour. I'm still waiting to hear from that weatherman. But in the meantime, stay here with me. Be sure to visit our sponsor, Paracinema Magazine. They're the source for all your genre movie needs. Check them out online at paracinema.net. Tell them Stevie sent you. Keep me turned on for a while, and I'll do my best to do the same for you. The smooth sound. Fabulous. 90s there with Third Eye Blind. Very 90s. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, you know, I wanted to pick a song that was both emotional, but yet not as kind of as emotional as this film gets. So, because <laughs> there, there's a Radiohead song in the film and I like it, but I was going to use that, but I decided to use something a little bit more uh, peppy for reasons oh, that I probably won't give away during the talk of the film. So, there you go. Mm. And it's kind of, you know, even though the Never Let You Go thing, it kind of makes sense when you think about it. If you see the film. Yeah. So, all right, introduce your selection, good sir. Okay, I need to pull up uh, to your bumper. Yeah. Uh, I need to pull up the uh, the <laughs> you, intro. You pull, uh, you intro. pull up, and I'll pull out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is a film directed by Denis Villeneuve. It's Canadian. Uh, I've often talked about how the Quebec film industry is, is just light years ahead of the rest of the country. And, and this film was nominated for the Best Foreign Film at the Academy Awards, for whatever it's worth. And as much as we know, those are really a one and cheese show. As a Canadian, I can't help but be proud when one of our films is recognized uh, by the Academy. And it's, it's just because... You know, we do this thing in Canada, and I've just kind of said to you before, like, whenever someone's Canadian, it be like, yeah, and they're Canadian, or it's Canadian, and, <laughs> you know, this little thing. Because, I mean, we're not as big as you guys, so it's not like an everyday thing sometimes for Canadians to do well on an international scene, right? So, 
Um, when I'd seen this film, it just knocked my uh, knocked my uh, my boots off. So, um, this is the short synopsis. There's a better one I'd seen on uh, Miso, but for the sake of time, I'll just read this one. Twins journey to the Middle East to discover their family history and fulfill their mother's last wishes. So that's uh, I think it's reasonably accurate, not as enticing as the other one I read. Um, it should be said this is based on a play by uh, Wadi uh, Muawad, I believe is the pronunciation. Um, so yeah, this is a blue. This is uh, Boulevard Movies, and um, that's that. Now. Uh, did you? I presume you were going to lead on this. No, do you want me to? What do you want to do? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, I'll lead. Good, good. I'm very because I'm. I must confess, I've been waiting all week to hear your thoughts on this film because I've made no secret of my adoration for it. <laughs> when it just break your heart if I just said I fucking hated it. Yes, <laughs> I've always thought that when I when I hear one of us say that to each other, and I just wait for one of us one time just to no holds bar say I fucking hated it, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But since we know each other so well, we kind of know, you know. Generally. Generally, yeah. we kind of know where each of us fall, you know. But anyway, and we both know we're going to give any film a fair shake. So, here we go. All right, so, like you said, you know, you gave this, you know, you, you pushed this film pretty good. And um, this is uh, to say that, you know, this didn't just disappoint. You know, that's, you, you sometimes when we both or any of us as film lovers push a film on our friends, uh, you always it, it's like pushing your child out there it's like pushing your thing we, we mean you talk about this off the air all the time it's like putting a personal piece of you out there <laughs> you you expose a little piece of your heart you knock yes. that armor down and you hope it doesn't get pierced <laughs> yes because <laughs> it'll break your heart you know yeah. so you know I know how you feel because I mean sometimes like I, I had the same feeling with M when we did M I love M you had never seen M I started watching him. I was like oh man what if Will don't like M <laughs> 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 you have these moments, you know, but uh, you figure, hey, you know, at the, at the least, you know, you trust your compatriot who does a show with you and you know that at the very least, even if they don't like the film, they'll still give it the fair shake it deserves, such as Forbidden Zone. So, yes, that's Precisely. a good example of uh, actually that because I know you didn't really love the film, but uh, you did give it the fair shake. Yeah, and I admire what it, what it was and what it was trying to do. Yep. So the basic set of this film is intriguing. Uh, it sets up with a uh, kind of a mystery and and and. and what the main strength of this film for me is overall is the composition of the film, not just visually, because visually it is a, a bit of a stunner. It should be said. It looks really great, uh, especially on Blu-ray, uh, but it, it looks great, period. I think it looked great on DVD, too. Um, it's just, you know, he, uh, the director just has an eye. Dennis Villanova. and um, That's right. <laughs> um, he's just got a great eye, and uh, but the, the thing that I really take away from this film immediately after watching it, the thing that I would talk about in any conversation with anybody, is the editing and the way this thing shifts between timelines. Oh, so seamless. Yeah, this this might be one of the most seamless shifting films. As a matter of fact, it's so seamless that if you don't pay attention, <laughs> you won't know what time frame you're in. <laughs> well, my, my, I was going to say my mother, my wife was watching it with me. And there's a thing, she blinked for, you know, a minute, uh, went to, she was looking at her teacup or something. And she's like, oh, it's the mother again. <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I mean, and that's the other thing, that they cast it to uh, the mother and the, the daughter look similar in some ways. Mm -hmm. So they, they cast it. Um, well, I just saw a picture of uh, uh, 
good friend of the show, Brian, from Movie Meltdown, and a good personal friend of mine, and he's taking a picture with uh, with Patty Mullen from Frankenhooker, and she looks nothing like she did back then. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, Probably a bad thing. It's just a biz- it's one of those like moments of bizarreness, you know what I mean? When you know what somebody looks like in your head, and then she looks totally different. I don't know. It's I don't know. It's just one of those moments. Anyway, moving on. <coughs> oh. And then I just saw a picture of uh, George George Bugarit or whatever his name is, the director of Necromantic and John Waters together. That's that's a that's a conversation I'd that's like a, to be in. That's a pair, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, that's the thing. This 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 editing and the construction. It's not just the editing; it's the construction of the story and the film itself is pretty seamless. And so immediately, I fell in love with that because that keeps your attention and it keeps you on your toes and stuff. And you got to watch because you got two storylines going. And uh, you got to really pay attention to what's going on because if you don't, you'll be completely lost. Uh, plus, you know, it's a film in a foreign language. And if you've ever done a podcast or tried to take notes on foreign language films, <laughs> my advice to you is don't write notes down when people are talking. <laughs> yes. I always look for moments when they're not talking or, sadly, I have to hit the pause button. <laughs> I've done that quite often, actually, when we've done kung fu films and other stuff. It's like, I'll pause because I want to see the action scenes, but I also mm-hmm. want to hear what they're saying to each other, you know, read what they're saying to each other. Oh, man, I've been there. So, this is in multiple languages. Yes. Should be yeah. Yeah. So, um, you, you discover very quickly that it's a complicated relationship kind of between the twins. It should be said, okay, so what happens is I'll give this basic outline of the story. You kind of give the plot synopsis, but. We kind of open with this uh, reading of the of the will, and this is not giving anything away because this is right in the beginning of the film. The major plot point of this film, which we will not talk about on here, uh, even if I even if I did support spoilers on our show, this was not this is not one I give away because it's it's a major plot thing. Mm-hmm. It's very comparable to another film, which I will not mention because that will give away something. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but. Um, so, you know, the twins are at this uh, reading of the will from uh, Remy Gerard, it should be said, who was in Blades of Steel with Will Ferrell. Was he? <laughs> yes, he was. <laughs> Good Quebecois actor. That's yeah. wow. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. He's also in uh, something else we saw not too long ago. Or something I saw not too long ago that I liked him in. Because he, he's a good actor. Uh, I saw he him is in. He's good. What did I see him in? He, he is the, the Denier Count. <laughs> oh, he's in, he was in Seven Days. Seven that, days. Which one's that again? That, that, sounds, that was that tour. Oh, with, 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 the, with the, the doctor whose daughter gets killed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was in that. Nice. Yeah. So he played the cop, I believe, in that. Um, but anyway, he's reading the will off and stuff. So it's a very cryptic uh, last wishes type thing from the mother. And so this immediately gets your, your interest. Well, I mean, if you're me, it got my interest anyway, because now we got this mystery to solve. They're supposed to find and it, and this. It's, it very, it's very cryptic. Like it, it's like, what? Like, what, what does this mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's funny. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, so that they set it up, and now you know you're completely intrigued. If you're paying attention to the story and everything, you're completely intrigued because now they have to look for their father and their and their uh, brother, and their their they didn't know they had a brother. So they're completely blown away by this. And they thought they were under the impression that their father was no longer with them. Yes. Yeah, so they didn't know any of this stuff. So this is all, as you can imagine, uh, quite insane for them. So, you know, and they, they, you know, they're obviously twins and they just, they, you know, they, one, one digs 
the idea of actually going through with this. One does not. Would rather the male. He would rather wash his hands of this and move on. Yes. So anyway, that's kind of the basic setup, and then we get into the parts of our film. Now, just some basic notes without getting too much story and stuff. But even before I had a child, I always felt like the scenes that always bother me the most. I always felt bad for the. Then there's not a lot of scenes like this, but you do see them in films occasionally where you know, a, a child is born and then immediately taken away from the parent. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's got to be harsh. It's, it's, emotionally yeah, it's, <laughs> I mean it's got to be tough and this one this is a pretty good one uh, uh, they uh, I like the moment where she says uh, you look at her face so you can recognize her and stuff but you know obviously if you know anything about children they can't really see very well in like the first uh, few weeks or few months or something like that out of, out of the womb yeah and it's something that is more I think um, especially in the film it's more poetic and mm-hmm. uh it's very almost like mythic. Yeah. Well, it's about the, the heart, setup. right? It's about love and about the heart and, and yeah. blood and things. And so you should know who your parent is or you should know who your brother or your sister is just by being around them. That's right. And then there's there a lot of things being said in this film about relationships and the way we look at our parents and the legacy our parents have and the lives they lead and, and love and, and all those things. Yeah, that we probably won't even get into as deeply as we could because of how densely plotted this film is uh, just even as a mystery mm-hmm. yeah and so that kind of gets us really going now that goes back to one timeline then we're back to another timeline now there's a lot of there's a lot of and i do think if there's any weakness to the film for me it's 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 a little overlong because there's a lot of scenes mm-hmm. where our lead the female especially in the beginning is just walking around now some of it works i really like it because and this is actually actually my last note but i can bring this up now because i think it works this film is very concerned with aftermath, with, mm-hmm. with uh, cause and effect. Uh, it's set up in the beginning with a will reading scene, which is, you know, when you read a will, that's an aftermath all by itself, right? Because now you're dealing with the after effects of a death and everything. So it's, it, 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 sets itself, uh, it sets itself up for that. So she walks through villages where her mom was from. She walks through places where her mom taught. Um, she goes to a, a prison where her mom was held at some point. And I always like that kind of stuff. It's kind of similar to like when you go traveling, you know, and, and you go to some place. And, uh, well, at least for me, this is something I do anyway. If I go someplace and I see a place that was in a movie, it's always kind of interesting to me to kind of soak that in a little bit, you know, because I'm a movie fan and stuff. You know, like when I was with you and, and Vish in Toronto, you know, he was on that street where they shot that uh, climactic battle in the Nor- Ed Norton Hulk film. And we oh, were yes, the Zanzibar Ship Club. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we were walking up and down, and I was like, you know, after you guys said it, I was like, the more you said it, the more I could see my, I could see the film in my head, you know. Yeah, it was pretty interesting, and uh, I kind of like to soak that kind of stuff in. I like, you know, on DVDs, one of my favorite special features. I wish they did it more, more films, especially the older films, is when they show the here and now locations. I love that shit. Oh, definitely. And they did it on the uh, the Fistful of Dollars one, I think, which was pretty cool because some of the buildings are still there and stuff. Uh, and of course, on the Wild Bunch disc, I think there's a here and now because I think that mm-hmm. that climactic scene in uh, Wild Bunch, that building is still up, It's still there. So, uh, not in as good a shape, obviously, but it's still there. So you always think, man, Sam Peckinpah, Ernest Borgnine, Warren Oates, you know, all these guys were right here at one point in time. You know, it's like you yeah. imagine the kind of magic of being there, right? Oh, and, it, and, that, and that goes outside of film too. That goes into like history and stuff, like here in. Uh, you know, like when you go to a museum or something, like here in Kentucky, uh, Abraham Lincoln was born in Indiana, I believe, but he grew up in Kentucky. So we have his uh, cabin that he grew up in here in Kentucky. It's actually 
been preserved and it's in a museum here. The thing's about the size of, I'm not kidding you, it's about five by five feet. <laughs> it's one of the smallest cabins you'll ever see. As a matter of fact, you'll think it's a joke if you see it, but actually him and his family grew up in this five by five foot cabin. Wow. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> but it's really weird to be inside of it because you think, man, Abraham Lincoln was in here. <clears throat> you know, it's kind of weird. Of course, now everybody else and their mom has been in there too, but it's still weird to think Abraham Lincoln slept inside this room. This one room cabin with one window and one door. Insane. It is insane. So you think about that kind of stuff sometimes when you, and I've always been kind of interested in that stuff. So I do like the travel log a little bit that she's kind of moving around and seeing this stuff. And it does, for the director and for the film's sake, it does give him a very good reason to kind of shift between timelines, which I really liked as well. It absolutely does because it allows that transition to seem organic because it allows us to recount the emotional heft of what she's seeing in current day and how that contrasts with her mother having been there 30 or 35 years ago or whatever it was. Now, this is going to sound like a crass note, but I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it anyway. All right, so here it goes. Uh, I think both the mom and the daughter are hot. <laughs> yeah, no, they, have an, they are attractive, certainly. The one that plays the daughter, she's, very, she's got a very P.J. Harvey kind of look in a way. In a weird yeah, way, not not as um, rough or harshly lined in the face, but well, not as big a but, nose either. But yes, but no, I could see that. She is, uh, yeah. I was, and at first I didn't really think she's attractive, but then as time went on, I did. And then of course, you know, as I do when I'm reviewing films and stuff, I start doing Google image search and stuff. And then when she's dressed up, I was, you know, I don't know what yeah. that was. It just came out of my mouth. But anyway, <laughs> I dropped the I dropped the ice cube again. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, the other, the lead, the mom too, uh, Lubna Azabal. Is that how you yep. say her name? Lubna Azabal. She's she's a gorgeous lady too, man. Yeah, she has a certain d- dignity. Born. She oh, she, I saw she's in um, Coriolanus, which uh, now I really want to see. Yeah, well, I I, I remember from uh, that Ridley Scott film I didn't care for that uh, Body of Lies film that Russell Crowe. Uh, the most generic film in the history of cinema. <laughs> that was a generic one. <laughs> let me tell you. But uh, she was in that, and uh, I was like, where have I seen this lady before? And, of course, I looked at her thing, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. I've seen her in that. But I have not seen, obviously, Coriolanus, but she is a, she's a gorgeous lady, born in uh, Brussels, Belgium. So there you go. Her and Jean-Claude could have shared a cocktail. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> or, some, or some cattle steroids. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Between those two, which one do you think would have taken the steroids? <laughs> yeah. Oh man, uh, but yeah. So I mean, they they are both very attractive and stuff. Uh, <laughs> I was getting ready to make a joke and say that so is the so is the brother, but uh, <laughs> I do like him too. It seems like I've seen him in something as well. I know he's very much like she's sort of um, because Belgians speak French. That's why Lubna's in this. But um, the brother is very much a Quebecois actor. Yeah, he is. Um, Look he at- did another film I'd like to do on the show at some point, Polytechnique, which is about one of the more tragic. Um, news situation, the news tragic situations that ever occurred in Canada. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the Montreal massacre. I saw uh, that as well. Um, yeah, this in film. Fact, ma- in fact, he plays the killer. Yes, uh, this, Mark this, Lepin, I think. This filmmaker has opened my eyes. To, I mean, I want to see more of his work because this mm-hmm. is a very sure-handed film, mm-hmm. and I've never seen that film. But that film immediately jumped, you know, to my forefront of wanting to see the Polytechnique film because I am actually I mean, I'm fascinated by that anyway. Because mm-hmm. I don't understand why people do it, mm-hmm. so I'm fascinated by that anyway. So it'd be interesting. Uh, yeah, I definitely, I definitely want to check that out. I'm going to check it out anyway, regardless if we do it or not. I like to do it on the show. I mean, it's one of those things I do want to promote 
Canadian film as much as I can because it's one of those things that it's easy for it to fall under the radar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? And you get something like that that also has the double thing of being historically... I remember being a young boy and not to get off point too much but when that happened with that massacre all those women were killed. I remember I was probably... I was anywhere between I think seven to nine or ten years old and even then thinking like, oh my gosh, like even then realizing the impact of what I was seeing. So. Right, right. Yeah. You know, luckily you guys live in a country where that happens rarely whereas we live yes. in a country, sadly where we actually take security measures and actually have, uh, you know, a lot of places I've worked and a lot of places I go to actually have measures to, uh, you know, escape routes, basically, for when this happens, because sadly, in America, it happens a little too often. Yeah, yeah. It's it's scary, and it's true, and it just, it just happens a little too often here. And it's it, it, it's it's baffling. That's the thing, you know, that, that was the interesting thing about that film I watched, Beautiful Boy, that, you know, Again, it deals with aftermath of a thing like of a, something like that that happens, and it's just like you know, how do you deal with it? And I haven't seen. Uh, I don't know what happens, and we need to talk about Kevin because I haven't seen that film. But I assume something similar happened. Oh yeah, you still haven't seen that. I still haven't seen it yet. <sighs> I haven't done Matilda thing yet. I gotta still. Got, <laughs> I gotta get a new bottle of Jergens before I watch that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a dark film. Even even with the Tilda, you're gonna find a hard. Uh... No, I'm gonna find it hard. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that show so sexual this morning. <laughs> I know, man. It's because we're we're we haven't slept, so we're in sort of base mode. <laughs> yeah. Base mode we're means very, we're very primal. City. Very primal. Yeah, base mode means Rosie Perez's nipples. <laughs> yeah, and ice cubes. Um, okay, so <clears throat> yeah, like I said, the editing and everything else. The the film it 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 also deals with cruelty and violence the cruelty of violence i think in a way that is you know disturbing yes and it's not overtly it's not an overtly violent film um there is a scene of of uh violence that is pretty intense but it's it's not an overtly violence film it's more it's more like you feel like the threat of violence at all times you feel the heft and either the threat of violence and the the violence happens i feel like in a very real way where it happens very suddenly and it wallops you like a wrecking ball and it never leers or it's never exploitative or never done in a way that is done just to to emotionally manipulate you yeah yeah it's 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 very interesting the way they handle the violence in the film it's uh it's handled very well but the the key with violence is and i remember i, I was listening to another podcast who was it uh i think it was uh Mike White, I think it was Projection Booth I was listening to, him and Rob St. Mary, I believe. And uh, they were talking about how... They were talking about Kenji Fukusaku, I believe, in uh, Battles Without Iron Humanity. That's what they were talking about. And they were talking about how, you know, violence in those films has heft, whereas, you know, like a modern filmmaker, some of our modern filmmakers, like Tarantino, uh, you know, violence is more of a stylized action, um, which, you know, again, you know, regardless of how you feel personally about a filmmaker or whatever else but you know like you could arguably say that you know Tarantino obviously sees violence as a, an opportunity for style same way as like an Argento or a De Palma or, or these type of filmmakers and then you have filmmakers like Coppola and uh, Scorsese and stuff who use well actually you could argue Scorsese does both he both does the heft with violence and he does the style with violence but some of the directors you know don't linger on the violence that much and this is a great example of that there's some extremely violent moments in this film at least two i can think of and they feel like gut punches which is what violence should feel like yeah because real violence is totally different than movie violence right Mm -hmm. movie violence i love i enjoy movie violence i'm not gonna lie to you i love it 
it's yeah. my favorite thing in in film. Not yeah. in a. I'm not talking about torture, but the films I tend to really love have yeah. violence in them. Yeah. So the violence is, you know, movie violence, quote unquote, stylized movie violence is one of my favorite things about cinema. It's one of the things cinema does better than any other medium. Um, whereas, uh, you know, real violence, I'm totally averse to watching. Like, if somebody tells me there's a YouTube clip of somebody getting punched in the mouth, I won't watch it. No. Uh, I'm not a, a MMA fan. I'm not a, a UFC fighter fan. I do like boxing, but I don't see that. I see that as a different type of form of sport. Although I do think as I get older, I just have a little bit harder time watching it. I don't know what that is about me. But anyway, that comes from also my youth of, you know, being a kid that was obsessed with violence to the point to where I would look for, you know, when the Internet came out, I was looking for violence, real life violence. I wanted to see people hit by cars. I wanted to see people, the infamous lady getting ran over by a train. I wanted to see, I wanted to see these things. Um, and somehow, somewhere along the way, I just got sick to my stomach of wanting to be that person. And I backed away. And uh, it's a good thing because, you know, that person that I was was dark. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you either, either live in that or you walk away from it. And I'm not saying people that, you know, watch UFC fighting and everything else are dark people. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's the same as boxing in a lot of ways. I just don't get into it. Uh, it's not for me. Uh, I have watched matches and don't bother me and stuff, but I just I'm not into it that much. Wrestling is another good example. I mean, it, I, you know, I used to go looking for videos of like uh, I want to see the video again and again of where Sid Vicious breaks his leg. <laughs> you know, why would I want to watch that? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 one of those human questions you ask yourself. And so, see, I, I have friends, and I actually have a person I work with very closely, who uh, this man he loves real life violent videos and he's much he's older than me and he'll constantly be trying to pass me off a dvd of something he saw or something he uh you know and i'm like i don't want to see this shit first of all i don't you know somebody tells me oh dude you got to see this and they hand me a disc i'm like ooh, i don't know what might be on that disc nowadays you know mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't know what might be on there so you know there's you know but you know another good example is uh the daniel pearl beheading Oh God! Yeah, so that, that, those are the examples I'm talking about. And there's this morbid curiosity with being a human being, obviously, and looking at our own mortality and what we do to each other. I understand that. I'm not I'm not denouncing anybody that does it. I just, for me personally, it's not a thing. And that's the way the violence in this film. The violence when violence feels real, it turns your stomach slightly. Yes. It, it this, so it should. It's yeah. It's, it's it just gives you a slight queasy feeling. Not. Not like it's not an overtly like gross out type moment like a like a hostile part three was trying to be with what you watched last week or like a uh, or like an Eli Roth film or even a Diodato film or something like that or these Italian films or like Anthropophagus which we were talking about off the air, um, <laughs> which is I'm sure everybody's like why were they talking about Anthropophagus off the air? We were both saying we could go for a bowl of pubes for breakfast <laughs> yeah. and a baby rabbit. <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, anyway, um, but. It's those moments of real violence that this gives you this twinge, and they're this kind of this kind of tweak to remind you that humanity, as great as humanity can be, it is also one of the most cruel forms of life on Earth. So. Uh, absolutely, because this film film very much, and it makes a point. It takes place in an in an unannounced uh, or an undisclosed Middle Eastern country. It's not an agenda film, yeah, uh, yeah. wrapped up in nice sort of entertainment. Um, it's it's very intent on not specifically having a country that it takes place in, um, 
and uh, what was the point of what I was about to say? Because that was sort of the secondary point. What was your point? What you just said the cruel. I was talking oh, about the cruelty. Yeah. Yes, this film very much deals with the inhumanity in humans. Mm-hmm. Yes, which is obviously a topic that I'm always fascinated by because. I mean, my favorite filmmaker of all time, Kubrick, was fascinated with the subject mm-hmm. that as for as many great things as we do as a race, as a as a culture or as cultures, as, as a people, we do just as much, if not more, that's bad. You know, we destroy as much as we create. And it's uh, and some would argue that we destroy more than we create and some would argue that we create more than we destroy. But either way. It's the the true dichotomy of the human human uh, character is that, you know, some of us want to want the best for everything and to move on, and I guess maybe be an optimist with life, and then some of us, you know, obviously don't want that. So, you can go into a lot of different subjects with that area, but I mean, it is the the basic flaw of the human being is that we are as guilty as we can be, you know, good. So. So interesting subject matter, and I think that's one of the things that really comes across in this film. Now, my last note, because I've already—I can't believe we've already been talking about this film almost a half an hour. Have we? Yeah. Wow. My last note for this film is uh, there's a, a a true gut punch in this film. Um, I didn't see it coming. Gotta say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's one of those ones where you, it, every time I see a film like this, I always think, you know, there's going to be somebody out there who's like, "Oh man, I saw it coming from the get go." <laughs> oh, uh, what, what? Without revealing it, can you give some? It's, it's just the major plot twist of the film. Mm, yeah, okay. Yeah. Which, in hindsight, yeah, I could see where you could because there's a lot of uh, moments where you might be able to see that. But I don't want to give it away. Don't want to talk about it too much. No. Don't want to compare it to the other film I could compare it to because it would give it away as well. But just to say that it's 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 a great moment. It's one of those movie moments where you just think, wow, you know that that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, the way it's handled is also very very good. I think it's handled well as well. So you know, I, I don't know if that's the correct English there. Handled well as well. So anyway, it is also handled well. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back. Talk like we normally do. Nipples. Yes. <laughs> Pubes. <laughs> Pubes and nipples. <laughs> SOS pad. Anyone? Oh. oh man, where's the crickets? <laughs> anyway. Um, but yeah, I didn't. I didn't mean sanit- I didn't mean a maxi pad. I, never mind. I meant that the pubes can feel yeah, more like an SOS pad, and I don't have a fixation with yeah. women's fi- the feminine type. The minute you start trying to explain what you're trying to say, oh, it's gotten worse by the second. <laughs> yeah. You've got yeah. you've got not that imaginary shovel, and you're just digging a hole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. yeah. So anyway, uh, so there's a major plot drop in the film that's pretty insane, and uh, I like the way it's handled as well, and. Yeah, man, the film, it's a very satisfactory film. There's closure to the story, and there's closure to the film, and it's really nice. Uh, and it, it's important it does that, sort of yeah. interject, because the film is very much, the, the crux of the film is a lack of closure, which drives this, or is the catalyst mm-hmm. for everything that happens after that. Right, right. Because, you know, if you've ever lost anybody close to you, you do look for closure in some shape or form you know you do and when my father died I, I you know even though I did not get along with the man um, there was um, closure had to be had and uh, it, you know it, it took me a while to work through that but I eventually worked through it so and I think that you know everybody goes through that and uh, 
some never some honestly some never achieve it and it's uh, it can be a wrecking ball in their life very destructive so anyway uh that's my thoughts on incident uh, on sunday <laughs> elvis is french <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> excellent excellent okay so i gotta really keep this tight because this might not even be a feedback show um so yeah the way this film i want to say i got to give it up to sony pictures because they know how to treat foreign films so many domestic labels bungle uh and not of the mr variety uh foreign <laughs> films and it's really heartbreaking but sony in my uh experience with them have always done well by foreign films they treat all of pedro almodovar's films well Hong Kong films I've seen released through them. They've done well. They know how to cut trailers for these films without, you know, doing the voiceover. In a world, in a time. They let the film, the film's visuals generally speak for itself with some um, some text cut between the scenes. You know, they don't need to voice it over. Right. So i got to give it up to Sony. Um, now, the film opens up, uh, and it's got this, it's got the radio head, I don't know what song that is off the top of my head. Uh, you and what army or something like that? Yeah, maybe that's and, what it is. You and whose army or something like that? I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, you might be right. Uh, and it opens up with this. It's really very haunting. And the camera's pulling into this dilapidated building and it cuts to shots. So, and it's slow motion, not completely. It's slowed down without being like you know, slow, slow, slow motion. Um, and it's got these shots, these really filthy, bloody children. Um, not overtly bloody, but bruised and battered, heads being shaved, and then it closes in on this boy, and the eyes drop, are pulling the camera in towards this bruised but not broken child, uh, his head down, and it's such an extremely powerful moment, and it's got this great close-up, and it's... Uh, and then it, it goes to 30 years later in present-day Montreal amidst bankers' boxes in the the office of this notary uh, where the will's going to be read. And it, it's just uh, quite quite well done. And I think right away, I remember when I watched it, I thought, okay, I'm really in the hands of someone who knows what they're doing when it comes to making film. Yeah, so, yeah. And I even like the flourish of um, almost in chapters when we get the very bold uh, red lettering to say the twins or Nawal or the places we're going. It's almost like chapters in a sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Which I think is really well done. Um, it's like the, like the Kubrick font or something. I like to think of that font. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I like it a lot too. I didn't mention that in my notes but I really like that. It's these nice chapter stops. Yeah, and it's a bit it's very nice and it's a small thing but again when you get a lot of small things done well it really adds to the, the film. So the will is read by LaBelle, and um, it is really a great scene. It just the way he handles it so perfectly, uh, LaBelle and, of course, uh, Villeneuve as a director, tonally and otherwise, um, the way it's read with the request this mother makes. And it's brilliant because it, it cuts to, as it's being read, the expression on the children's faces because they're, when the will's read, there are some things that, anyone put in their position it's it's hard it's heartbreak heaped on top of it's like this cryptic heartbreak heaped on top of the crushing um emotional despair of, of losing a parent or a loved one 
Right. And they, out of frustration, Simon or Simon, uh, to Anglo anglicize it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, oh, enough. I just, I can't do this. Like, I've had enough thrown at me, and I got to deal with this now. Whereas, um, oh gosh, um, Jean, uh, his sister, is a little more receptive to this. Um, so, and I love the line. The silence, because it's at the end of the will reading, the silence will be broken and a promise will be kept. Yeah. And I got chills as I'm reading that right now, because when you think about the film and the years that pass in this film and what that means after seeing the film, it's it's really fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Um, one, okay. Yeah, the great moment by LaBelle when Simone, the brother, is saying, well, this is ridiculous, and what does this mean? She, this can't be real, and... And uh, LaBelle, because it should be said, the mother worked for him. Um, not really that important to the plot, but it's a, it's a minor aside. And he says to the son, he says, listen, one doesn't invent things, not in a will. And I think it's like saying to him, listen, I mean, yeah. do you really think when this is the last thing someone's going to get to convey that they're going to be, you know, jokey or it's going to be some big ruse? Yeah, yeah as like, much as it may sound like a ruse, because it's so cryptic and out of left field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that he says that too. That you know, one doesn't invent things and will. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, no, definitely. And I got to say, watching this for the second time, it was rewarding to me to see some of the early scenes and the little reveals, and the words that are said, knowing what I know, because you see that sometimes when you rewatch a film, it, you're rewarded with, um, with, with the knowledge of of what you're seeing and how really how uh, profound it can be uh, whereas the first time around you may forget it because there's been so many reveals by the time the film has come to an end right right um, they do a good job of fleshing out Jean because essentially I and I, I have no qualm with this but Jean and Simon are brother and sister and a lot of times these films would take sort of a 50-50 split it's almost like a 75-25 split, whereas Jean does most of the legwork and the detective work. Um, and it really, her story runs parallel uh, with her mother's story. But I think they do a good job of fleshing out Jean early on, with just some quick shorthand that she's someone who, even with limited information, could go on this sort of globetrotting mystery. Not globetrotting, it really only has two locations, but this, this mystery, because it shows that she's... Um, She's, I guess, an aide for a professor with math, so she's very much, you know, she's someone who's very intellectual. Um, and I'm glad they established her as such because there's some things that she she would have to use that intellect uh, mm-hmm. in order to further her um, her investigative work, as it were. Yeah, yeah. And I think Jean, I love throughout the film just the weight she seems to carry as the daughter. Um, she's got this furrowed brow that just shows so much weight on it and so much emotion without being overly um, uh, demonstrative or extra as it were mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah I like that as well she she's she's almost the heavy of the film without being the heavy and the uh, the I also like that at one point in time there is a heavy introduced and I thought they were gonna keep him off camera I thought that was that's a really brave and bold move mm-hmm. uh, they don't but either way, when they do introduce him, you do feel the weight of his character as well, and he's hardly in the film. Yeah, it's more about the ripple effect of what he's done. That, mm-hmm. but you don't even need him that much. But it is, it does add certainly heft to the film. 
um, it's that moment where you almost you really can can be in in the character's shoes when they're face to face because now the stakes have been built up, so you know what this means to right. to, to have this scene take place. Um, and Villeneuve does a good job of that, of of letting thing the emotional stakes and what's involved with each film, uh, each moment. Uh, he allows you to be invested in that moment because he's given you enough to be invested in that moment as it comes time in the film. Right, right. The score is great. I mean, the the um, Radiohead stuff works great. Uh, stuff with cellos and the composed music for the film is really great. It adds heft and, and very much a dramatic tension and, and a somber, heavy uh, tone to the film. And even epic without... In some ways, do you know what I mean? It, like, it, it works quite well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I wanted so, to use more of the music for the show, but it just—it doesn't really work for the show as much no. as it works for the uh, the film. It, yeah, it, it, I agree. It's one of those things that's better in theory. I admire it, but it, it would be square peg round hole. Um, so yeah. Uh, so the, there's some really shocking violence. I mean, you know, and the thing I like that Villeneuve does is within the first fifteen or twenty minutes of the film. There's a shocking, brutal act of violence. Yes, and and immediately following that, we're on the verge of another, mm-hmm. and it leaves you just as shocked and breathless as the person who's affected by that scene. Right. So right away we think, okay, all bets are off. Anything can happen here at any moment. And again, it allows you to really be in the world of the character and know that the stakes you're playing with in any moment. Mm-hmm. And and what that has, uh, the sound design is great in this film. Everything from the expansive kind of wind through the trees uh, to gunfire, everything's just really well done in that respect. And the film is is tremendously shot. Yes, it just so well. I got to look up who the DOP is. Um, and the thing I admire too about the film is you very much get an authentic feel, a lived-in feel. It doesn't feel set dressed. It feels like. This is, in fact, you know, a country that has been um, uh, broken down and stripped down by war, and by the effects of of being weathered by by the acts of men and the acts of Mother Nature. So I right. think they do a really great job of that. Mm-hmm. And this film has what might be the most poignant tattoo of all time. Yeah. Yeah, and it's so simple, too. So simple. And you know what's funny? The first time I saw that, I didn't realize it was a tattoo. I thought it was just a birth thing. Because I must have turned away at that point, or I was looking at something. I don't know what I was doing, but... So it's just... And it's a, it is a simple thing, but it's something that works so very well. Um, sorry, are you going to say something? No, 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 no. And see, my... this, this... Sorry, go ahead. No, I was trying to keep my cl- uh, throat clear, so it may have sounded like I was trying to talk. Oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, this film and this kind of film is why I love world film because it allows us an insight into parts of the world that we don't really get to see otherwise and when they're done well it really gives you a you know part of it is a little bit travelogue without ever feeling travelogue-y mm-hmm. right and that's one of the reasons I love world film is because it allows me to go with places that I may not ever get to see yes so it does a fantastic job of that um, you talked about you know, being, being seamless um I think the thing when you say that about World Film too, I, I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking, you know, a friend of mine was I was talking to a friend of mine at work, and I was saying, you know, 
I was watching this film and stuff, and he's like, yeah, you know, you're always watching these films from other countries. And uh, he goes, uh, you know, it's almost like it's kind of snobbish. I'm like, well, yeah, it might seem that way, but it's not about being a snob so much. I think it's just the different perspective on storytelling. Mm-hmm. You know, I see I, in any given year, I see more American films than I do foreign films. Mm-hmm. And even if I try, I still end up seeing more. more. It's so much more available to yes, us, too. Yeah. So the different type of storytelling that world cinema gives you is what's special about world cinema. It's not that I think those films are you know generally better than American films. If you look at my top ten list from last year, a lot of those films were American. Half of our films are American as much as we certainly will sing the praises of foreign film as much as anyone. But it's, it's, a, it's seeing another country and seeing the perspective of very human events through eyes of the eyes of someone from yeah. somewhere else it's the same thing it's it's what it's one of those things that cinema and media and arts you know it gives us it gives us the opportunity to potentially experience something different right so mm-hmm. that's one of the great things about world cinema as well i just wanted to get that out there because that was bothering me this week it was said to me on like monday and it's been bothering me ever since <laughs> oh nice okay we'll go to but you got to throw that one out there um because i wholeheartedly agree I love the shot of Nawal. She's crossing a bridge because she's going on her own journey to keep a promise. And this is a hard film, it should be said. This is a hard film to talk about without revealing things. Um, So apologies if we sound as cryptic as the will being read. Um, There's a shot of Nawal crossing a bridge as she's going somewhere as everyone else is leaving. And it's such a poignant moment because you realize that the love in what she's doing and how she must feel in that moment and how her heart must be racing and you can't help but be thrust into that moment with her yeah yeah really great stuff um i like how the landscape it it, you know this would have been easy for villeneuve if he had just been kind of flashy music video director just to bleach everything out but he doesn't like it looks dry and and scorched without ever looking sort of cliche bleached you know what i mean Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that's really great um and the further yeah the walls on this this room the further she goes the further the worse it gets this wasteland there's buildings reduced to charred rubble and windswept land and yeah um uh, lubna last name again as well is that it let me see anyway in the wall um it's just it's a powerful emotional performance it's something there's never shrieking and and these big ridiculous moments that a film of this nature very easily could have turned into and and it would have been appropriate in terms of the emotional context but it there's always a a, a dignity and and a restraint and uh it just I like I admire that that Villeneuve handled it that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're just taking the easy route of just wailing and you know, yeah. Worse. Um, and I like that moment too when she's, you know, she because she's going around this country that's very much divided by Christian and Muslim, um, and it never judges one versus the other, you know, other than to just basically say that we're all human. Um, but I I love that not love but I think it fascinating and I'm on on edge to see that she uh, is having to toggle between these religious symbols uh, she has to wear the hijab part of the time and, and hide her cross all the time she has her cross 
spared very much because that's what's going to protect her at certain parts of, of uh, her her journey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she she's on this bus and she falls asleep and she wakes up. She sees these black hoods, uh, much like um, gosh, uh, I can't think of that organization. <sighs> I think they have green hoods. They're Palestinian. I I don't know. So. It's too early for me, unfortunately. I can't chime in on this one. (laughs) Yeah. Um, They're Palestinian, I believe. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, My heart was in my throat in that moment. Um, It is, I think you touched on this scene, and it's just, God, it, I don't want to reveal too much of that scene, but the heft that that scene carries, and there's a, a fleeting, an urgent, an urgent look, despite it being fleeted, and a decision that's made, to take a chance to do something in that moment that it just wallops you and your heart is in your throat and your heart's racing and what happens in that scene and this fire that consumes everything it, it it's one of the more powerful moments I've seen on film in the past few years yeah yeah, yeah. The, the scene that haunts me from that is the uh, is the mom holding the child it's it, it's rough stuff oh it is. It really is. Because we know the stakes now. We know this isn't going to be a movie where we're going to get off easy necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I love, there's moments where these, these, uh, these really militant uh, Christian soldiers, when it shows a slow motion shot of their guns firing and they got like pictures of uh, the, the sort of paradox of these pictures of, of the Virgin Mary taped to their guns. It's, uh, it's pretty good stuff. Um, I love some of the unorthodox camera work in the film. Like, there's a scene when um, Noel's working as a, a tutor, and she's coming into the the house where she's working. And from when she gets out of the car till when she goes into the house, it's shot almost from her like her knees. Yeah. And there's dialogue exchanged. It, it was very unorthodox, but it works quite well. It's almost, and in fact, there's some some very Scorsese esque camera work in these this film. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's a nice mixture of like Scorsese and there's some Kubrickian type stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah, good call. You can see all the influences uh, mm-hmm. in the in the film, and it's it's really nice. But they're they're married in a way that makes it feel original, and like it's Villeneuve's voice, and not someone clearly aping something they've learned in film school. Yes. So yeah. that's great. When you see a filmmaker who can, or yeah, filmmaker who can pay tribute to greats with with while still having an original voice. Um, so in the wall, something happens. She's put in prison, and the, the, that, the scenes when she's in prison are really awful to watch. Uh, and I mean that in the best possible way, as far as they're they're emotionally hard to watch. We see her hair being cut off, her being very much stripped of her femininity, of her humanity, or at least the attempt is made to strip her of her humanity. I mean, that's got to be the most brutal jail cell in the history of of jail cells. Hey, you, you guys and those these Quebec filmmakers in jail cells, man. You guys they are two do, for two on this on this show. <laughs> Well, between Martyrs and this and Seven, uh, what was it? Uh, Marine was was Marine was a, a, a Quebec co-production, and then uh, and this it just brutal. I mean, you'd be you couldn't lay sideways in these this fucking jail cell. Yeah. It's probably as big as like three sleeping bags. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 accurate. I would say brutal. Um, and I like how that's again the emotional stakes are set up when. Um, the daughter, Jean, is going to this um, this prison and the guy that's telling her, oh, Amnesty International condemned this prison, blah, blah, blah. And then we know it's going to flash back to her mother being there and you think, oh, no. You know, what are we going to see here? 
and it's just awful. Um, and it, it just it builds up the mythology of the film with the woman who sings, and and I love how it touches on something that we sometimes, I know we all forget until maybe we're parents ourselves, and that's the life our parents have before their parents. And that they had this life of, you know, maybe 30 years or 25 years, whatever it is, or 40 years before they had the kids. And our lives, we make a conscious effort for our lives to become decidedly more boring. Um, and we do certain things as parents to shield our children from things that we've done in the past. And I, I think that that's something that is, is handled remarkably well in the film. And it's something that I think we all kind of take for granted sometimes. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um I love all the. I'm almost done my notes. I love all the scenes with the the, the bit players, whether it's um, the notary that is acting sort of as a liaison or a tour guide here for them. I think he's great. I think the school janitor is great. I think everyone that they encounter in their journey is uniformly excellent in their brief moments of the film. Yeah, there's not a bad actor in the bunch. No, no one. You know, you know, you don't think for one moment. Gee, this this one really stunk out the joint. Um, there's some there's certainly the irony of um, history repeating itself with Noah's character and the irony uh, I don't want to say too much something that happens in prison and so forth um, and piece by piece this this story comes together for us and I like that you you know I like that it kind of caught you by surprise and you know even at the end I remember reading about it online some people literally were like well how can that be that and what does that mean and it's clearly when you see the film you understand what what it means by the time the film ends but um it's just really well well put together and he pieces it out and doles out what we need when we need it just enough for us to play along um and final note uh i love and it's not that film but i love um almost like um romaine uh gavras shoots uh, the north of France, very industrial and gloomy, and we are what we are. Have you actually seen that yet? No, I don't think the I have. The Vincent Cassel film? Um, he shoots Montreal, like, really fucking gloomy and industrial, almost. Like, um, it's got to be late late winter or, or early winter, and there's no leaves on the trees, there's snow on the ground, and but it's kind of melting and dirty and gloomy and mucky, and I'd like to see, I'm very curious to see Polytechnique now that I've seen this and see how he shoots Montreal of the late 80s. So, those are all my notes. Okay. All right. Uh, my make or break. Uh, I'm going to go with the, there's a, there are many great moments in this film. I'm going to go with the scene of uh, Revelation, and there's several of them. There's several revelations in the film. But there's one that is, I like the way that it happens, and... Because to me, that's kind of how life happens. You know, mm-hmm. it, you just never know when something like that's going to happen. So, and that's the reality. Appreciate the moments you have. Trust me. Appreciate these moments podcasting early in the morning with icy nipples <laughs> and pancakes. <laughs> yes, pancake nipples. <laughs> yes. <laughs> hey, it's a perfect cross. It's a that's the, the those two words are the perfect cross of the GGTMC, the South and yeah. the North. <laughs> <laughs> the pancake nipples. Uh, my MVT, I'm going to give it to the director. Even though I do like yeah. the leads in the film and stuff. I'm going to give it to Dennis Villanova. Yes. He's rocking it. <laughs> <laughs> From Quebec. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> See how many other French words I can say wrong this morning. <laughs> um, 
it's not that I can't sing them. I just don't even want to attempt it, even though I know it gives you a nice little bit of entertainment to listen to me. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, my score for the film is an... I give it an 8.75 out of 10. Almost nice. close to it's really, really a solid film. I, again, the only beefs I really have with the film at all, I could probably even bump that up to a nine because the only real mm-hmm. beefs I have with the film are just some of the the pacing. Yeah. Uh, which again, it's, it's not awful. I, I'm I'm totally down with that, but it just it's 130 it's minutes long. long. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's a long film. It's a sure. long film, and so it 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 and it feels that way occasionally, and that, maybe it's the material. You know, because it is fatiguing material, right? I mean, it's yeah. a material that emotionally drains you. But uh, yeah, other than that, though, the film's close to perfect or close to great. Or well, it is great in my opinion. So I know great what you film. mean. I, I agree with you. I, I think try to cut you off. I'm, I'm with you though. Yeah. Now it would have been on my top ten from last year if I'd have seen it before then. Good stuff. So if that gives you any idea of how I feel about it, it would have been. I don't know if it would have been number two, but it would have been. It would have been in the top ten. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So. Uh, I do want to say that I think the film might be a touch long, and I do want to say this. I think that Villeneuve slightly, and it's only slightly, but considering how great the film is, I think he slightly overplays his hand a little bit near the back and with some of the reveals. Just a little bit. Just a little bit, yeah. You know, not much, but um, just just enough to knock it from being like, um, you know, uh, like perfect or just astoundingly close to perfect to a great film um, my make or break scene is a scene with the bus and his film full of great scenes my MVT is also Denny Villeneuve um, just a, an assured hand just he's got style without it ever feeling stylish for the sake of style uh, everything works so well I mean really a, a filmmaker who I will see everything he does uh, I'm going to seek out everything he does from this point onward and backward um yeah. My score for the film—he's he's definitely one to watch, no doubt about that. Yeah, and he can work in a film industry in Quebec that supports Quebecois filmmakers and make good films like this. That that you know, a lot of people um, between this and uh, Monsieur Lazare, which is a great Quebec film as well, that I that will be on my top thirty for sure. It was nominated for the Oscar this year, and same producers, it should be said. Um, so I think we're going to see, you know, Quebec film continue at the forefront here um, for a while. Uh, my score, though, gosh, I'm really... I watched this like... By the time I finished this last night after having no sleep, it was like 2.30 in the morning or 3 in the morning. Uh, it was brutal. Like, I got home, tried to get home early. The Blu-ray wasn't playing. My my wife got home from seeing Magic Mike, so she had to talk with her friend about that. And, <laughs> you know, it was just like, okay, man. And my mom was here watching the kids because my wife, you know, had to see... Channing and Kevin Nash and friends and so anyway, um, I am going to say I'm going to agree, agree with you and say 8.75 right now. I think this film I could very much very easily say a nine. Mm-hmm. I think my original score when I seen this film was a 9.25 or a nine. It's right there, anywhere in that range. But right now I'm I didn't sleep very much. I started at you know 11:30 or 12 at night. Um, that in it because it is a bit fatiguing because of the subject matter. I'm gonna say that. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll say 8.75. It's so good. Nice, nice. All right, that is our thoughts on all Sunday. We'll say, all right. The the we're gonna just slide right into feedback from here. It's probably just the easiest way to do it. So, yeah, we don't have much. Uh, 
We don't have much time. We spend a lot of time on the film, so we're just going to have to, you know, push some feedback back. We got a lot of voicemail over the last couple of weeks, so we got to play loafs on this one. I promised him we would if he sent one. Did he send one? I don't think he sent one. A motherfucker! I told him to because he was watching this yesterday. Yeah, well, you know, he's loaf. Oh, you fucking loaf. I'm looking now to see if he sent one. No, I'm not seeing one. That fucking bastard. Filthy. <laughs> All right. But I'm going to play Aaron's because I promised to play that last month. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so here we go. I'm going to play Aaron's real quick. Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. It's Aaron. Uh, I'm at work right now. It's kind of windy out, so I apologize if the sound's a little bad. But, um, yeah, I just want to call now uh, with my voicemail before I forget. Um, yeah, so anyway... Uh, first of all, thanks for covering the movies. Um, yeah, very curious to hear what you guys have to say about them. Uh, Raising Arizona, I picked that one. Uh, well, first of all, because it's a great movie. Um, and also because uh, I want to hear your guys' thoughts on it as parents. Um, and, you know, also as film fans, obviously. Uh, you got the Coens, you know, directing it. Uh, Nicolas Cage. Got a great supporting cast, uh, John Goodman, William Forsythe. Um, speaking of which, I would love to see a movie just based on um, Goodman and Forsythe's characters uh, in Raising Arizona. It's almost like he was reading. As old as they are, I think that would be great. <laughs> it's almost like he was reading uh, our mind back in the day. Opportunity mm-hmm. that was. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, re- I rewatched it not too long ago, and I can easily say that it's my favorite Coen Brothers movie. And if not my favorite comedy of all time, my second favorite comedy. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just love it. Uh, one of my favorite scores as well. So uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to say about that one too much. Uh, murder set pieces. Not my original choice. I was gonna go with the straight story, uh, the David Lynch film. And if you guys want to cover that one day, you know, I wouldn't be. <laughs> I certainly wouldn't be against that. Um, and maybe I'll talk about it then if you guys do. But uh, Murder Set Pieces, I kind of wanted to sleaze it up a bit. And this film couldn't be more different than The Straight Story or Raising Arizona for that matter. Uh, very nihilistic, uh, violent, misogynist film. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting movie. Uh, you know... I mainly just wanted to hear how you guys would talk about it and what you guys would have to say about it. Um, if you guys want to tear it to shreds, you know, by all means, I don't expect you to like it. We did, bro. Uh, personally, I do like it. Um, not necessarily because of, you know, the violence. I'm not really into, uh, you know, shock, splattery movies. I do watch them, but I don't really seek them out uh, on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. I don't know, there are just certain things about murder set pieces that appeal to me, I guess. I really like the music. Um, I like the fact that it's filmed in Las Vegas, uh, where I lived for two years of my life, uh, two of the craziest years of my life. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I just like watching movies that takes place, that take place in Vegas because, you know, I've been all over the city and, you know, I can see, uh, you know, I can watch movies and be like, oh, yeah, I've been there, you know. And what I like about murder set, murder set pieces is that 
it doesn't film in like the usual places. It films on like these, you know, these like side roads and like, you know, streets that, you know, aren't typically associated with um, Las Vegas, uh, you know, when you watch movies. Um, so yeah, I've been to a lot of places in the movie. Uh, like the strip club, the serial killer goes to. I've been there quite a few times. Um, like a lot of the, you know, side streets. The, <laughs> like I left the welcome off. to Las Vegas sign that he passes by a few times. I live like right down the road from that when I lived there. But um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what else to say. So, <laughs> yep. Thanks, and uh, I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. All right, the wonderful Aaron there. Uh, should be said I still have uh, one more thing from Aaron to release at some point in time but it's a mega episode so I'm holding off on it right now yeah massive it's a good one yeah so but uh, yeah no we we I think he knew where we'd stand on those films he knows us mm-hmm. as I guess I, I I expect him to at this point all right I got one from uh, I'm just, I think I'm just gonna stick to voicemail this morning so I just gonna stick to voicemail today yeah other than, um, yeah, that's fine, actually, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because we got a lot more voicemail than we got email. So I'm going to try to put a little bit of a dent in this because, you know, we need to. Here's one from uh, Christine. Hi, guys. It's Christine. Um, I tried to leave a message, I don't know, weeks ago now, and it got all weird, and I never tried to call back. So this is me calling back. <laughs> um, I had lots of important things to say back then, and I don't remember what they were. But I finally figured out how to hook my iPod up. To, like in my car so I can listen to you guys on my way to work now and I've figured out that my new favorite thing is when Rick makes Will laugh really really hard I don't know why it's really funny I'm listening to the bloody birthday episode now um, and well I don't know what Rick said but Will laughed really loud and really hard and it made me crack up and I felt like a lunatic driving down the street laughing um, but the show's been amazing lately and I mean it I've listened to probably six episodes in the last week and I, I love it it's just, I don't know how it continues to get better but um, I appreciate all the hard work you guys put in and it's really great having somebody to ride to and from work with so thanks again guys I'll talk to you soon bye alright the wonderful Christine it should be said uh, secretly I love to make Will laugh as well <laughs> <laughs> which I think you know as, as, as two friends we, we both like to make each other laugh if, if, if anybody ever has the well I'll just go ahead and say it the pleasure of being around me and Will when we're in the same room we spend a lot of time trying to make each other laugh oh definitely and we spend a lot of time laughing <laughs> <laughs> and that's the mark of a great friendship yes. it's because there's a joy in laughter that um is elusive sometimes in life. I'm telling you this right now. Last Horror Hound, we were all together. I laughed so much that I literally felt like I had herniated a disc in my back. Oh, nice. I was in so much pain from laughter between Loaf and Dom and, and you and me and Vish and his weird random violence. and I'm going to punch someone in the face. <laughs> and uh, all kinds of craziness. You know, I laughed so much I could barely breathe. I was like, God, what is wrong with me? And I just realized I'd, I'd use that muscle in my abdomen to laugh so hard. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's it is great, man. When you can do that, it's it's great, man. And I, my wife always uh, she always says I laugh like the Count from, from Sesame Street. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, so. when I really laugh, I mean, I laugh a lot on the show, but when I really laugh, I sound like my wife always it drives her crazy. It's like she has this moment of horror when I like I really laugh because I'm so loud. Like if I really, I have like this like uh, it's like a Bluto laugh or something from Popeye, you know. It's like <laughs> it's like a Bud Spencer laugh. Yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. That's great. All right, here we go. Let's kind words, thanks, Christine, and we all put in hard work. You guys do. We all put in the hard work for the thing we love, which is film. Yes, indeed. Let's do one for from uh, Emily. Another female Speaking listener. of great dames. Hey guys, it's Emily. I just enjoyed this month. I know feedback's coming up. Um, and the Maximum Overdrive episode is so near and dear to my heart. I just, I agree. I think it's such a great guilty pleasure. It's ridiculous and wonderful. Um, and the only thing I really was going to say regarding that was Yardley Smith. Yeah, now, I mean, I'm a straight woman anyway, so I'm not looking at her the way uh, you guys also are not. But <laughs> Scissoring friend. She really is awful. And I thought for a while I liked her because she's Lisa Simpson and one of my favorite characters ever. And then a couple of years ago, she had a one-woman show on Off-Broadway. And it was all about how she'd achieved all the success, but she still wasn't being appreciated for who she was. And and it was just hearing her voice straight for two hours (laughs) with her being the only one on stage talking about her bulimia and like reenacting how she would throw up and it was just awful and it made me hate this woman so much and I think on one hand she's the one thing wrong with Maximum Overdrive but the other hand um, I think she feels it was such an, a terrible blotch in her career so I just hate her even more for it um, <laughs> even in her one woman show at one point she cites it as and then I was in the worst Stephen King movie ever made which I mean come on bitch don't even start but that's that okay I'm gonna get my car if I keep talking bye Oh, and I'll send you my fiction tonight, if I remember. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Emily there. Um, yeah, Yardley Smith. Not only that, I, she has an unfortunate name. Yardley. She has an unfortunate face. She has an unfortunate <laughs> uh, voice. It just, yeah, when Emily said the things she said about, I, she used to kind of be like, oh, great, it's Lisa Simpson. I used to feel that way, too, watching Yardley, and then it was like, oh, fuck, Yardley Smith on this. I mean, I don't know. She's she's not the worst. She's just she's a little bit grating, and, yeah, but you know. She's an average actor at best, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Not not horrible, but, you know. I guess in the right type of film. She'd be a serviceable. Because she's got a character face, you know? Maybe she'd be, and I say that in the nicest way. I mean, I mean, I don't, I'm not making fun of her. I mean, it is a very character-driven face. It's It's unique, and it's not generic cookie cutter glossy mm-hmm. she is obnoxious though <laughs> yeah <laughs> <All right. laughs> thank you Emily as always uh, let's do a couple more here here's one from uh, I'm just picking these at random here's uh, one from the hey Cinemascus. guys it's the Cinemascus Justin Erbolster wanted to call in on two things one the top 30 of 2011. Loves both you guys list and of course everybody's list. And we to personally pull out one person and say thank you, Bryn from Hamakis, for putting horrible bosses on your list since it was my number 14 of the year. I don't feel so alone. And I'm not saying there's people in the community that hated it. Actually, a lot of people seem to enjoy it. But I was thinking I might be the only person to put this on my list. But what was he talking not. about again? Which one? So, but was, you know, as always, love your list. It's a telling yeah. you, and there are a lot we're, of stuff. We're gonna, we're gonna rewind. Two Here things. We go. One, rewind the top the DJ. Thirty of 2011. Loves both you guys' list, and of course everybody's list. And I'm gonna personally pull out one person and say thank you, Bryn from Hamakis, for putting horrible bosses on your list since it was my number 14 of the year. I don't feel so alone. And I'm not saying. What was it again? People make me hate it. It's actually like a super enjoy. So I was thinking, I might be the only person to put this on my list, but nah, I was you not. Been. So, but you know, as always, love your list. <laughs> it's just telling you, and there are a lot of films that couldn't get in your guys' list. 
for some that, you know, I expected it might have been higher. Like when I was like my list, I thought certified copy would be higher and it was in the 20, in the bronze and it was in the bronze for Will. So it's like that just goes to show you how great of a U this was that what I expected to be closer to the top was actually closer to the bottom. So this is actually a year I probably could have done top 50 if I wanted to. Hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But hey, last we did top 30. Uh, the other uh, thing I want to talk about is the film you would have, the uh, sorry, either got done reviewing now or if this is feedback much later on, whatever we read in the past couple of weeks or months, and that is magic. I decided to rewatch it, so it's kind of a good thing. I was having trouble calling in the other day, and I knew I loved the movie, but it, it's one of those rewatches you kind of forget how much you love the movie, and for me, I really couldn't find anything wrong with magic unless I really, really, really nitpicked, and I don't feel like I should even ever take a credit away from film if I'm trying to find something bad, if anything gets great merit on that film. I thought Anthony Hopkins' performance was one of his best. I thought it was just very tense and, and, and creepy, and I, I you know, always didn't like dolls when I was a kid or ventriloquist dummies. And this one, Fast, I liked because, obviously, when ventriloquist dummies, a lot of times they can look a bit more human than regular dolls, and this one does. But one of my favorite things is a lot of ventriloquist dummies, you know, just the bottom of their mouth will move, but maybe the top of the mouth a bit. But for, you know, Fast, you can actually see his, like, upper lip kind of, like, you know, he move up or kind of curling to see his top teeth. So it just seems so realistic. And, you know, he takes you on like a really wild ride where there's twists and turns. And just when you think, oh, they might go in a direction I don't, I'm not sure if I will like, they pull you back in with something else. Or I don't want to spoil that, obviously. But, you know, <laughs> it, it'll take it in a different way. And I just, I love the ending. I thought it was great. And it's just something I love. And I'm hoping you guys do too. And if not, that's okay. Different jokes for different folks. So, and since I like to bring up Leonard Walton now, since he gave Drive of Negative Review, and obviously have that book of his, I decided to look and see what he gave Magic, and lo and behold, he decided to only give it a two out of four because he called it Ooh. ludicrous. Uh, I don't hate right. Leonard Walton. I do agree with some of his opinions, but there are a lot of times I'm like, he gives a lot of good films, really low ratings, or, or quite a few movies. He gives a bomb, and I can't believe they're a bomb. So, but there you go. I'm hoping you guys enjoyed it. I know it has a very strong following in the community as we found out on the Facebook group once we announced we were doing magic and keep up the good work per word and minute of delivery of voicemail Justin gets more in than any voicemailer I've ever heard before in my life yes he does and I'll tell you what I love about Justin he's a young guy admittedly one of the younger regulars in our community uh, and he loves film and he loves all kinds of film and he goes to great lengths to seek out film, and I applaud him for it and for educating himself and keeping his head above water with all this, all us old fucks. <laughs> exactly. He, uh, I mean, he really <laughs> gets a lot in. <laughs> if him, he's, if him and Emily, in some in some crazy universe, if him and Emily were to be married, their children would make the micro machines dude look like a fucking pussy. They would have the greatest auctioneer in the history of auctioning. <laughs> All right, let's do. Hey, my I still don't even know what what film did he say was on. What box? Horrible something? bosses. Oh. oh, yeah, that's right. Horrible bosses. Right. Sorry, I, I I'm sorry. It's well, my you were you, you watched the whole film. I I couldn't even get 15 minutes into it. Yeah, pretty awful. And Brand man, what's up with that, bro? <laughs> well, you know, to each their own. He yes, uh, to each their own. I have to give it the silver and gold review. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, Tom's uh, probably doing that in his in his sleep right now, man. <laughs> All right, <laughs> steamy windows. <laughs> 
Nice. I haven't heard that song in a while. <laughs> <laughs> Wish I had that. I'd probably close the show with it. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. How many more you want to do? we got a couple minutes here. Mm. <laughs> Take each one as it comes, I guess. <laughs> let's do this one. Here's Tom DJ. Big Will Samurai. It's Tom DJ from Brooklyn. Better in the Dark Laboratories. Will. Will. I got some things to say to you. One. Okasek? Oh, really? Boy. <laughs> okay, sick. Really? <laughs> Two. Uh, that's fine. I'll say it. Karen Black had a lazy eye. <laughs> However, Shame on you. you think that I say that as an insult. She had great nipples, too. I say that <laughs> because, my God, here's this woman had a lazy eye. An eye and astigmatism so terrible that apparently she could only work a couple of hours every day or you know, the, the she'd be exhausted from trying to keep herself, her eyes straight. And yet, she was considered for a long, long time one of the sexiest women on the planet. Yes. To me, yeah, I, call, I say, yes, Karen Black had a lazy eye, but I say that with a sense of admiration, <laughs> with a sense of absolute respect that this woman was able to be so incredibly hot. Much like in Japan, artists will intentionally put a flaw in their artwork to better bring out the beauty of it. Mm. Thus, does Karen Black have a lazy eye to better emphasize her overbearing hotness? Three, you know, you still owe us um, copies of certain films we're supposed to review on our show. <laughs> Old voicemail. Part of a long ago bet. <laughs> mm -hmm. I just bring that up again to remind you. <laughs> Gentlemen, it has been a pleasure and an honor once again to address you. As, as you know by now, that reminding us is the only way we'll get anything done because we can't remember anything. Also, it should be said, I have a lazy brown eye. Oh, I hope it's not lazy. <laughs> <laughs> You got problems if you do, man. Yeah. No more like... <laughs> yeah. Like... <laughs> yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Anal leakage, bro. It's a problem. Mm. <laughs> it's a serious problem. All right. Uh, a serious thing. We said we'd stop at seven. We're going to stop there. We will. It's timely he mentions that, though, because I wanted to mention this week that... Um, their episode where him and Derek cover the Milia trilogy uh, is up at Better in the Dark as of this Thursday. Check it out. Um, and they don't like it as much as we do, but that's okay. Different strokes <laughs> for different folks. Support Tom. He had a bet to us that he lost. They reviewed all the films. Despite me never getting them to them, they luckily showed up on Netflix instant <laughs> because he couldn't get digital copies, blah, blah, blah. But check that out. So Yeah. Now, you know, it. it it's interesting to hear somebody else's take on that genre anyway. Mm-hmm. Always. You're off, yes. quiet. You're off of quiet all of a sudden. What are you doing there? Uh, looking at Britt Eklund holding up her vey. Delicious. <laughs> yeah. That's, in, a der in a derby hat. That's that's a GGTMC statement right there. I was getting ready to text it to you, to be honest. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, amazing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, the pleasantries. You got them? Are you ready? You rock and roll? Are you <laughs> yes, silver and gold in your butthole. Uh, so, so. And your ear holes. Yes. Uh, oh, why did I say the picture? Uh, 
OTC, Amicus, Entrails from the Skeleton Closet is nowhere to be found lately. They should be back on the air very soon. Uh, Podcast on Fire, Podcast Without Honor and Humanity, Cine Awesome, Action Attraction, Married with Clickers, and I, I've never, I don't know if I've said it on the air, but Scott, I love the promo. Yes. <laughs> well, maybe not Big Mama's House. It's just great. Um, love it. Uh, Paleo Cinema. Girls on Film, The Glee Cast, Family Movie Night, 35mm Heroes, Chin Stroker vs. Punter, Night of the Living Podcast. The NOTLP crew hasn't said they're going to be in indie, right? Yeah, they'll be there. Good, good. Big Red Podcast, Better in the Dark, V Cinema, Criterion Cast, Projection Booth, uh, Mondo Film, Podcast on Fire, love that album, Movie Matchup. Check out our dear friends over at ParisCinema.net. Subscribe to that wonderful magazine. NightmareTheater.blip.tv. We are a young monster. Teleport-city.com. Uh, a man, a kid, a pony is a podcast. It should be up with the other podcasts. So is hopeful, romantics, and generous lovers. Uh, yes, our good Easy friend James, lover. hopeful, romantics. Take a hold on you, believe it. Um, uh, Philip Bailey stuck in my head. Uh, the GTTMC. Is it Philip Bailey or is it just that diamond earring he wears? It's him in that diamond earring. Yes. The leather pants. Uh, the, these are all dot blogspot.com. The GGTMC, Republican Speaks, Deadly Doll's House. Chuck Norris ate my baby. Fist of B lists in a Magonzo playground of doom. Dusty's back, putting finger to key on the keyboard as opposed to paper to pen. Scared shiftless and Shasta, moon in the gutter. Wax mask. Deathrattle.net. Lightningbugslayer.com. We like stuff too. Hero never dies. Check out, of course, the freaking awesome network for to see the cinemasochist and feed my ears on Facebook. For of course our sponsors, Diabolic DVD. Dot com cinema dash de bizarre.com promo code gentlemen for 10% off your orders omg entertainment.com promo code ggtmc10 boulevardmovies.com which today's episode was brought to you by the mighty camera obscura facebook join the group twitter.com backslash ggtmc Barge william cool cat pickle of 10 bob freelander etc oh aaron is back on there uh death rattle 10 Yes, yes, he's back on there. It's Death Metal 10. Uh, and iTunes reviews. Oh, yes, this is a James Bond picture. Huh? It is. Yeah, that's nice. Odd job gets a hand job. <laughs> yeah, there we go. All right, so that is the big show. Um, <clears throat> trying to think. Oh, yeah, next week is the, uh, the uh, Diabolic DVD sponsored episode. And it was my turn to uh, to program the episode and uh, we're going to be doing uh, Italian film I can't remember what year it's from but uh, it's going to be the return of uh, well both films are Italian it should be said which is weird I didn't even realize that until just now I think they're Italian right they're Italian uh, Baba Yaga I think is it Spanish or Italian eh, it's some it's, it's your, Mediterranean you know what? it's European it's European <laughs> we're going to be doing uh, uh, that film <laughs> fuck me running Man, give me, <laughs> give me just a minute here, because you know now that bothers me. Because truth be told, I've never seen Baba Yaga, so I know nothing about it much. And other than that, we both like to say Baba Yaga. Yeah, we both like to say Baba Yaga, Devil Witch. 
It's also known as Kiss Me, Kill Me. Directed by Corrado Farina. That sounds That's Italian. That sounds Italian. Corrado. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, it's uh yeah, it's Italian. So there you go. The two dumbfounded uh idiots to do a podcast finally figured <laughs> out that it was Italian by the name. We couldn't get more prejudice than that. <laughs> But that's from uh, 1973. It's going to be the return of uh, George Eastman, one of the patron saints, one of the most overlooked patron saints of modern cinema yes. of, uh, of to the GGTMC. So it's going to be good to get old Georgie back on the show. The Silver Fox, as I like to call him. <laughs> uh, and Carol Baker on the show. She plays the actual titular Baba Yaga. I hope that's how you say it. <laughs> get in the film I don't see how it could be said any other way. Yaga, Yaga maybe? Sorry, luck. And also, we're going to be direct, uh, directing. We're going to be directing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jeez, we've really moved on. We're going to be we're going to be covering a spaghetti western that I am familiar with. I have seen. I don't think William has seen. No. Okay, good. This will be fun. Uh, it's called The Ruthless Four. It's uh, one of my favorites of the genre. Uh, directed by Giorgio Capitani. Capitani, and uh, it's actually written uh, at least partially so by Fernando De Leo. So. Ooh. So good stuff. Van Heflin, Gilbert Rowland back on the show. Gilbert was on the uh, Johnny, whatever, what was that name? That Johnny one? Hamlet. Yeah, the Johnny Hamlet show, that one. And uh, Klaus Kinski's in it and George Hilton. So it's it's packed. That is a <laughs> dream team of sorts. And I always remember that uh, Klaus Kinski's character, I always remember his name in the movie is Brent El Biondo. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So. Oh, the blonde, maybe. Yeah. So it's got an alternate title on the disc, but it is known as the Ruthless Four. It also, I guess, I, sh- I guess I'll go ahead and give the alternate title in case anybody wants to shop around for it. I think it's called. Uh, let me. I'm gonna have to. Let me, hang on. Let me look it up. I know there's a German disc of it. Which the German disc we have says. Uh, <laughs> I believe it says. Uh, <laughs> something Elf George. Something. Yeah. I'm, I was getting ready to say it. Das Gold von Samkupa. <laughs> That's Sam Cooper. That's what it is. So I was right. Biondo is blonde. That's yeah. what it was. Yeah. So, but it's also known as Sam Cooper's Gold if you're looking for it. Uh, but uh, Ruthless Four is what it was known for as in the in the uh, USA. But I don't think it has an American release. I think this is a uh, PAL format DVD. So. Koch. Yeah. So there you go. Isn't it Koch? Yeah. I think it's Koch. Koch. Crotch. Koch. Yes. Anyway, what the hell's that picture of, man? Is that the drummer from Power Station? My life. <laughs> Uh, you said it was uh, the the what for the, um, the the ruthless for, and they should not be mistaken with, of course, the Harlem crew known as the fearless for. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's uh, that's our uh, big show next week. So I can't wait, man! You programmed a, a doozy. It's going to be fucking awesome. Yeah, it's going to be fun to talk about. It. A lot of good actors we're going to be talking about in this. Uh, so a lot of fun. All right, so that is the big show, as I like to say. And uh, with that, I'll say adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. 